coming back. After last week, I didn't know if anybody would come back. You know, you start talking finances and it seems like people are, are nervous if you're going to talk about it, especially in church. And so thanks for coming back. It's good to see you. If you have your Bibles, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 is where we're going to go. And then we're going to move into 2 Corinthians chapter 9 in just a minute. And then I'll be putting several different things up on the board for us. 2 Corinthians, this is a passage in which... Paul is talking to the Corinthian church. The Corinthian church is a well-to-do church. They have done quite well as far as financially. At the same time, they have problems. They have problems within morality, have other things that they're having to get figured out. There's fighting back and forth within the church. And Paul is trying to straighten out the church and get the church to, to begin to grow and to begin to function the way God has really orchestrated the church to be. And what he does is he uses the example of the poor Macedonian churches, the churches who do not have as much money, but yet in this area of giving and generosity and grace giving, Paul says, these guys are really good. They don't have money, but they're begging to get involved and they're begging to have the opportunity to be generous with their finances. And so Paul uses the Macedonian churches, a poor church, to teach the rich church how to actually be involved in their giving, all right? So 2 Corinthians chapter 8 Here's what we're going to do. Would you please stand for the reading of God's word? 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And I would ask that you go all the way down to verse 7, if you will. Again, I just kind of summed up what was happening. Paul's encouraging the Corinthian church to be like the Macedonian church. Go all the way down to verse 7, and here's what it says. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, And in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. This act of grace is the generosity, is giving. Grow in this act and excel in this act of grace giving. Now, would you move over to chapter 9? Let me read one more verse while we're standing. Go to chapter 9, just one page over. Drop down to verse 6, and let's read what Paul says. The point is this, he's summarizing and he says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your blessings. God, I am so thankful for how that you move and work in our lives. God, I'm asking now that you would reach down. Would you speak into our lives? I pray for the Holy Spirit to have freedom in this room right now. I pray that you'd give us the ears to hear. And God, I pray that you'd give us the courage to apply to our lives today what we need to apply. In Jesus' name I pray, and all God's people said, amen. Thank you, may be seated. All right, so... We started off with 2 Corinthians chapter 8, where it talks about grow in this area of grace. Grow in this act of grace giving. Now, here's what I'm going to do. I put up a, a last week, we put up a, a, a line in which we kind of said, this is the growth pendulum. This is the growth module. You move from one area to the next area. You move from one step to the next step. And so we talked about last week being selfish and how we all start there. And matter of fact, we want to say, and we grow up saying, this is mine, mine, mine. From a one-year-old, we say mine. We want what's ours. We say, this is mine. And we want what's somebody else's as well. We want their stuff. 
mind. Selfishness, we start there, and then we talked about how that we even move, and we'll gradually move over into the stingy, where we say, this is mine, but I willingly give you just a little bit. And now we're no longer selfish, but we feel good about ourselves because we gave just a little bit and we go into the stinginess. Now, what we're doing is last week, I talked about those two. And we talked about how that we begin to move out of that cycle of selfishness, move out of the cycle of stinginess when we begin to take the principle of understanding that whatever is God's, that God is truly the owner of all, and we're simply a steward. God has already given us all everything. So really what is ours to be selfish over is really not ours anyway. It's really God's. And when we begin to apply that, then it begins to be easier to be more free with what God has given us. Now, if we're called to grow, what we need to do today is we're going to talk about systematic and steward. And then next week we'll talk about sacrificial. Here's the problem with this line. In one year's time, you can go from selfishness and you can move all the way over to sacrificial and then you can move all the way back over to selfishness again in one year. You can move back and forth. And just because you jumped out of one stage doesn't mean that you've actually arrived for the rest of your life. Does that make sense? You can go back and forth and you can even go back and forth in the same week. You can say, yes, we're going to give. Yes, we're doing good. We're being generous. And then you can go all the way back and say, you know what? I can't believe we gave to God. And you can get selfish and stingy and you can get frustrated and you can go back and forth. And so what Paul is trying to do here is to lay out for us to actually grow in this act of grace. One of the things that I desire for you and for me is that we would be people who have an authentic faith journey rooted in truth meaning that we actually hear the truth of God's word and we're willing to step out in faith to say, God, if you said it, I'll put it into my life and I'll live it. This is one of the greatest areas of growth for your Christian life. You want to move forward. You want to take steps. You want to trust God. I want you to trust God for your salvation. I want you to trust God for eternity, but I want you to move beyond just trusting God with your salvation to actually begin to trust God with your entire life. That's a big step because it's easier to do a one-time step of saying, God, would you be my savior? It's easier sometimes to do that than to actually give our lives the rest of our lives. Here we go. So here's what we're going to talk about today. We're talking about systematic giving. Systematic giving. What is systematic giving? Systematic giving is when you begin to say, this is going to happen consistently over and over and over again. What happens with us is this. When we talk about giving, we automatically start saying, well, you know what? I'll give when I become a millionaire. I'll give when I win the lottery. I'll give when it's easy. I'll give when we get out of debt. I'll give when we have enough money to give. We'll get married. You heard people say this. We'll get married when we have enough money. We'll get married when we'll have kids when we have enough money. Let me just say, I have four kids. You never have enough money. You never have enough money. Man, they just, as they they grow each stage, they just take more and more money. It's just never have enough. So how do we play this out? If we're giving and our giving is, okay, I'll give when I have enough. How do we play this out? Now, I read a joke this week about a man who um, had a heart attack. And as he had a heart attack, he was rushed to the hospital and rushed to the hospital. The family all gathered around. The doctor came out and said, we got him taken care of. 
He's going to be okay. He's going to make it, but he can't have any more stress. He can't have any more excitement in his life. And so we need you to make sure over the next couple of days, for sure, he's going to have to be reduced. The stress is going to have to be reduced. And so the pastor came by and started talking with the family, said, yes, he's going to be okay. But pastor, his uncle just passed away and left him a million dollars. And we're afraid to tell him because if we tell him, he's going to get so excited, he, it just might cause him to die right there in the bed. So they said, okay, pastor, would you take the news into him? Pastors get all kinds of great jobs, right? That's just how it is. So the pastor goes in, he says, okay, I'll take this. He goes in, he starts talking to the man and you know how pastors are. They kind of can smoothly walk right into a conversation. You're saying yes before you even know what you're supposed to be saying yes to. So the pastor's just talking to him and he says, okay, what would you do? What would you do, sir, if you inherited a million dollars? The man laying in the bed said, just leaned back and started thinking about it a little bit. He said, you know what, pastor, I'd give, I'd give half of it to the church. Automatically, the pastor fell down dead from a heart attack from surprise. <laughs> Man, when people get to start talking about money, it's not only awkward for you. Let me just be honest. It's awkward for me. It's just awkward conversation because here's what happens. When we start talking and you start saying systematically giving, I don't know, pastor, you know, it sounds like this is a gimmick. It sounds like you're just trying to get more money out of me. At the core of my heart, I want your spiritual life to soar. I want you to grow, and I want you to go beyond where you've ever gone. And systematic giving is a place to start. It begins to move you from selfishness, move you out of stinginess. When you begin to say, this is so important that I'm going to systematically begin to make it a priority to be generous with my money. It's a priority. It's rearranging, saying it's going to happen. Now, Paul gives some, some help here in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. I'll put it up here. We'll put it up here on the board for you. In 1 Corinthians 16, Paul kind of gives an idea and a way of being consistent and, and to begin to have a systematic giving approach. And here's what he says, 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 2. On the first day of every week. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up. You're supposed to store it up. You're supposed to set it aside each on the first day of the week. Now, the first day of the week, the reason the Christians did this was because the first day of the week was when they met as a church. They were setting aside, and Paul says, I want you to set aside a day in which you're going to consistently, systematically, you know you're going to give on this day. Now, here's what it works out for you. It could work out in different ways. It could be on Sunday. It could also be when you pay your bills. It could be Wednesday. It could be Tuesday. Many of us now pay our bills online in our checking, uh, online on our checking through our, our bank. We get online and we start paying. And here's what it is. It's systematically saying this is going to happen when I pay bills. It's a day that you set aside, whenever that is. Maybe it's Sunday, maybe it's Wednesday, maybe it's Thursday, maybe it's Monday morning, whatever day it is that you're systematically, you set a day and you say, this is when it's going to happen. Now, let me give you the next one, Proverbs chapter three. Proverbs chapter three and verse nine gives us a way in which we systematically say, this is going to be important. Now, look what he says. You set not only a consistent day, but you set a consistent time. Look what it says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. First fruits is the very first thing that goes out. The first apple that you pick, 
first wheat that you cut, the first increase that you are given, you give it. Why? Because you put that first. See, let me help us understand this. God is not after your money. God is after your heart. He desires to be number one in your life. He doesn't want to play second fiddle. He doesn't want to be second or third or fourth in your life. He wants to be number one in every aspect of your life. And the problem is this. Our hearts travel. Our hearts move to whatever we give money towards. So you give money to your kids' sports. Guess what? You're going to make sure that they show up. Your heart has gone there. You make sure they show up for practice. You show up for their games because your heart has moved and traveled with it. Whatever you give money to, your heart moves. And what God is saying is put me first. Honor me first whenever you're increased. When when are you increased? What is that? When you get a paycheck. Kids, when you get your allowance. Whenever you have money come in. Well, this is not really my work. This is not a paycheck. This is just a bonus, Heath. Whenever you're increased, you give first to God. See, the principle goes throughout the Old Testament and New. It's the first day of the week. It's the first child. First male child is God's. The first is God's. And when we put God first, then look what it says next. You see this? With all your produce, and then God says, I will do what? Bless. So that your barns will be filled with plenty Your vats will be bursting with new wine. You look for and you pray. And let's be honest. More than likely, in your finances, you've had moments in time when you struggled and you look at your bills and you're going, God, where are you? Would you please bless my finances? Would you please bless? And you're praying and you're asking. And you should pray and ask, but let me make sure we understand something. If you're not putting God first in your finances, then the blessing doesn't come. Did you see the sequence? It doesn't say the blessing's going to come and then put God first. It says put God first and then the blessing comes. Does that make sense? For some, this is gonna be one of the most radical things that you've ever tried. It's gonna cause you men to actually raise up and say, I've got to step out on cur- in courage. It's gonna cause you to be so fearful. You're gonna be nervous to say, I can't put God first. This is too big. But guys, ladies, it's a chance for you to be involved with what God is asking you to do. It's a chance where God is saying, I love you and I want to show myself strong and I want to bless you. And he's saying, put me first and just see what happens. Now, systematic giving, this might be one of the biggest things you've ever heard. So you've already done the pushback. So since I've already got you kind of pushed back, I'm going to jump into tithing just for fun. All right, because this is the next level. This is steward giving. This is you being simply obedient. This is the next level on that, that pendulum from selfish, stingy, to actually saying, okay, I'm not gonna just be a putting God first. I'm actually gonna jump all the way up to saying, I'm gonna be a steward. A steward is the obedience level. And here's the hard part. The obedience level is actually saying, can I, will I give a tithe? A tithe is 10%. And there's a good chance there's someone here who are going, man, I can't believe this guy. I thought he knew the Bible better than this. The tithe is not even really supposed to be happening in the New Testament. And I'm so glad you're here today. 
So glad because here's what I want to do. I'm going to show you just a few verses. My goal is this, ready? I am not going to guilt trip you at all. Is that fair? There's no guilt. I'm not going to guilt trip you. This is between you and God. And I'm just going to lay out some, some verses for you. And I will let you go home and you and God work this out. So here we go. Tithing. The question is this, this was only given to in the law. That's what people will say. They argue you shouldn't have to actually give, but what happens if, what happens, ready? What if tithing started before the law? That might be interesting, wouldn't it? But what, what, what if in the New Testament, what if after the law, when grace has been introduced, what if in the New Testament, tithing is affirmed? What would that mean to you? then it might mean that tithing's worth looking at, right? Okay, let's go, let's go to the Old Testament. Go all the way back to Genesis chapter 14. And there's a man named Abraham. You remember him? Father Abraham had many sons. Remember the singing of the song? Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them. Man, you guys haven't even sung that. Have you, does anybody know that song? Okay, whew, you left me singing by myself. And that's, that's a dangerous time. You do not want me singing, all right? So next time, join in singing, all right? That's scary. Okay. So Abraham, Abraham is the guy who is really considered the father of the faith, right? Because he's the one who stepped out and began to trust God, and he leaves his home, and God says, I'm going to start a new nation, and it's going to be called the nation of Israel. And God begins to bless him, and God begins to work in his life. And as God is blessing and working in his life and growing Abraham's faith, Abraham does something radical. In Genesis chapter 14, there's a part here where Abraham comes to a man named Melchizedek, and as he talks with him, here's what he says. And blessed be God, the Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abraham gave him a tithe of everything. Now, just in case we're, I, I will play this out for you. But in Hebrews, Jesus is now the new high priest, right? In the order of who? Melchizedek. Okay. So that's a lot of theological junk and we can talk about it and that would be fun. But just to suffice it for this, Abraham, before the law was ever given, gives a tithe. Now, let me make sure you understand the order of sequence. Abraham came before Jacob. Abraham came before Isaac. Abraham came before Joseph. And Abraham came long before Moses, several hundred years before Moses. And Moses is the guy who let, he went to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. And Moses is the one on the mountain who actually gives us the law. Does that make sense? So let me step that's before the law, Abraham gives a tithe, the 10% of everything he owns. Now jump into the law, in the middle of the law, and now it becomes a command in which people are to give. Israel is supposed to give a 10%. And let me just show you how it works out. In 2 Chronicles chapter 31, 2 Chronicles chapter 31 and verse 5, says this, as soon as the command was spread abroad. Now, again, they were commanded now to give a tithe. It was the law, it was the requirement. As soon as the command was spread abroad, the people of Israel gave what? Everything. They gave in abundance of the first fruits, the first of their income of grain, wine, oil, honey, and all the produce of the field. And they brought in abundance, uh, in abundantly the tithe of everything. Now, just so we're clear, 
in the Old Testament under the law, under the system of the law, not only did they give 10%, but then it would also be increased to 20 to 30%, depending on all the different laws that they would give. So under the law, they could give up to 20 to 30% of everything. So there was a tithe for this, a tithe for this. And so that's a lot of tithing, right? Now move you one step further. Now go all the way into the New Testament, Luke. There's a man named Jesus. You remember him? We sing about him. And Jesus had lots of confrontation with religious leaders. And as he would confront religious leaders, Jesus would do something over and over again. He would make sure he corrected any bad theology that the religious leaders would have. You remember this? And he would say, you're not supposed to be doing this. You're supposed to be doing this. And he would walk them through and say, you're missing the point. Here's what the law says. Here's what you're supposed to be doing. And Jesus would go over and over again. Here's how we're doing it. Now, Jesus in Luke chapter 11, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, the religious leaders. And here's what he says. But woe to you, or here's a warning to you, Pharisees, you religious leaders. You tithe of the mint and rue and every herb. You're tithing to the very detail of everything that you have in your house. You're tithing to everything you own. And then Jesus says this, but you neglect something. You're forgetting something. Here's what he says. You forget justice and the love of God. You're doing well. You're doing the religious thing. You're doing good actions, but you're missing something. Watch this. Jesus again pushes them. He does not want you just to be doing religious action. Are you hearing this? Jesus doesn't want just religious action. He's wanting something more. You to actually live out your faith, to actually love God. That's what he wants. And this would be the perfect opportunity. If you're Jesus, if you were Jesus, and you wanted to actually get rid of tithing and say, guys, you shouldn't be tithing at all because that's the Old Testament. We're now in the New Testament. I'm starting a new kingdom. This would be the point in which Jesus would say, stop tithing, right? But what does he say? Do you see it? These you ought to have done. Do you see that? You have ought to have done this. You should be doing this, but you shouldn't be forgetting doing justice and loving God. Do you see that? That's pretty hard, pretty powerful, isn't it? So Jesus affirms that this is something you should be doing. Now, a few years ago, down at First Baptist of Dallas, there was a great preacher named W.A. Criswell. You remember him? Okay, he was, a, he was a great preacher. He, he, he was a pastor there for about 50 years in, at First Dallas. And so there was a young man who came to First Dallas at one point and he, he talked to the pastor and he was just a very ambitious young man. He said, pastor, I just need you to pray for me and pray for, I'm starting some businesses and I just, I need God's blessing. And, and W.A. Criswell asked him, he said, sir, are you, are you tithing? He said, I only make $40 a week, no. And Criswell said, well, I'm not praying for you. And he goes, okay, I, I promise I will give a tithe of my of $4 because I'm making $40. I'll give a tithe. I promise I'll give a tithe of whatever God blesses me with. And Criswell says, okay, I'll pray for you. So they have a prayer over his finances and over his businesses and over his endeavors. Within just a couple of years, the man was making or giving a tithe of over $500 per week. 
And as he was giving, he called up the pastor one day and he said, pastor, I just want you to know, I can't do this anymore. This is costing me too much. $500 a week is too much to be given to God. I need to stop. Is there any way I can get out of my promise? And And pastor Criswell said, sir, I don't see any way you can get out of a promise to God. But here's what I'll do. I'll pray that you start making $40 a week so that you can go back to giving that $4. And the pan goes, no, thank you. I'll keep doing what I'm doing. Now, this is hard, isn't it? It's hard. I'll be honest with you, especially if you've not rearranged your finances and done this and you haven't been doing it for a long period of time. Or maybe you're in the midst of a financial crisis. This is probably one of the most radical things you've ever heard. And it's heavy and it's hard. And you're going, I don't know if I can do it. So let me give you one more passage. This one last passage is a passage that I think you just need to hear. I think you need to understand. I think you need to hear it. I think I need to hear it. Because it's God speaking to us. Malachi chapter 3. You have your Bibles, and we'll put it up here if you can't find it. It's right before Matthew, if you can find the book of Matthew. All these guys are not offended by my teaching. They're just part of the band. All right, just so you know. It kind of scares me the first few times that that happens when they start leaving and they get, get going to get prepared. I'm like, where's everybody going? Did I offend everybody? And that's what it is. It's their music. I, I look at music. Okay, okay, we're good. Malachi chapter 3. It starts off and it says, will a man rob God? Now, let's be honest, robbing. Have you ever seen those dumb criminals on TV where they come into a, 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 a gas station and they're trying to hold up the gas station and they don't even have a gun? And then the, peop- the person behind the counter, the clerk actually pulls out a gun and they run out. I, I sat there and I'm thinking, robbing, you know, if I was going to rob somebody, I would actually have a plan. I'd come up with a really good plan. And first of all, I'd carry a gun. Makes sense, right? But to look at yourself and it says, will a man rob God? Will a woman rob God? It's hard because let's be honest, I'm a preacher and to actually think about robbing God is, is hard, isn't it? You're, you're good church going people. That's why you're even here today. Will you rob God? Well, the answer is no, there's no way I would rob God. I, I, I like God. I don't want to offend God. And then the, he continues. He says, you, yet you are robbing me. Well, God, where are we robbing you? And this is God's response. You ready? God responds and he says, in your tithes and contributions, your offerings. What? You're robbing me. And then he continues, you are cursed with a curse for you are robbing me and the entire nation. We don't talk about blessings and cursings because it's not really part of our culture. But here's where God is speaking to a group and he says, you're robbing me. And because you're robbing me, what you have done is you have actually taken God's hand off of you and out of your finances. And instead, instead of actually having God's hand on you where he's blessing you, you've actually removed God from you and you've invited and invoked God's curse onto your life. Where he's now cursing your finances. 
And not just you, the entire nation's what it says. We could even come back to say, not just you, but maybe the church as a whole. How are those curses being pointed out? He's saying, I've cursed you. God has cursed you. Now watch this. So now he says this, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Bring the full tithe. You see, the way God has so designed this is that each Christian is part of the body of Christ. Each member is to play out a role. God did not design it where there would be one millionaire in every church so that it would actually cause the church to go forward. What he has done is he's so intricately woven us as members to where we need every body part working together. And here's what he done. he's done. He's designed it so that the church is able to do ministry, so that the church is able to extend God's kingdom because people are giving So you bring the whole storehouse, bring the tithe to the storehouse, and then watch what happens. Look, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. This is God speaking. Now, let me help us understand something. You go from Genesis chapter one, verse one, all the way to Revelation. You will never find a place in which God says you are to test me, except here. So in your suffering, in your pain, when it doesn't feel like God is there, you are not to cry out and test God in the midst of that pain. You are not to test God with your temptations. You are never to test God anywhere except here. Watch, it's the Lord of hosts speaking, the Lord of heaven's armies, the commander in chief of all of heaven's armies. Here's what he says. I'm West Texas, so this is how I double dog dare you. You ever had a double dog dare? Okay, if you have a dare, you might be able to walk away. Might. But as soon as you start walking away and they double dog dare you, man, it's on, right? I mean, you have to, you have to pull up your boots and man, here it is, it's on. And here's what God has done. God has done this. This is not Heath speaking. I don't care what you do, except that I love you so much. I want you to hear this. God is double dog daring you to put him to the test. He says this, I dare you to actually give the full tithe. And then here's what he says. Are you you catching this? God challenges you and double dog dares you. And here's what he says. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of heaven's armies, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you. For who? For for me, for the church? No, it doesn't say that. It says for you. Did you see that? I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour you out a blessing, and here's what it says, until there's no more need for you. And God says this, that curse that I had put on you, I will now rebuke the devourer. I will rebuke those things that are falling apart that you can't just seem to get your get out of debt and you can't because everything keeps falling apart. I will rebuke the devourer for you. Do you see that? That washer and dryer is going to go another five years. Have you ever had that happen? I have. That car that should have broke down, 
thousands and thousands of miles ago. You're now able to drive to 200,000 miles and there's no reason that that Dodge Caravan should actually go that far. Man, and it just keeps going and you're going, God, he's rebuking the, the devourer for you. The curse has now been lifted and the blessings of God, his hand is now on you and look what he says. So that I will not destroy the fruits of your soil. Your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. God says, I will get in the middle of your finances. I will bless your endeavors and I will work on your behalf. Do you see that? Okay, church, you might not agree with tithing and you might think that this is just, just a, here's the deal. On the authority of the word of God, I never give a challenge except this challenge here. On the authority of the word of God, God is daring you to try it. We could argue, and I tell you what, I would enjoy having a great theological debate with you. It would be fun. I would love to show you, boom. And we could go back and forth and let's have this great argument. But here's what it said. I'm gonna keep my mouth shut and I just double dog dare you. Four months is the challenge. On the back of your connection cards, take out your connection cards. Connection cards, take them out. Get them out, it's in your bulletin right now. Connection cards, pull them out. On the back of the connection card is this. A challenge, a four-month challenge. The challenge is simple. The challenge is this. I will, first of all, I will just, maybe for you, the biggest step is putting God in your, at first in your finances, and you're going to systematically give. And you're going to put God first, and that's going to be your first step, and it's going to be a major step. Some of you are going to skip that, and you're going to say, not only am I going to put God first, but I'm going to tithe. And I'm going to do it for the next four months. And Heath... Under what you're saying, and let me just come back. It's not me saying it. So I have no obligation to meet your bills. But God does. Does that make sense? I don't even know what's going on in your finances. But under the authority of God's word, for the next four months, put him first, tithe, and let's see what God does. He says, put me to the test. Four months. Here's what I'm asking. I do not know what you personally give. I don't know. And I'm not going to start knowing. But here's the challenge. I want to follow up with giving you emails and verses and just keeping you encouraged from the word of God. So put your name down. Say, I, I'm going to do one of these things. I'm going to take the challenge. Mark it. Maybe some of you are saying, I've already done that. I'm, I'm already doing it. Go ahead and put, say, I'm going to continue. We keep track of how many people give to the church, and we just kind of see where we're at and how we're going. We're praying for a certain number to be increased by, that we actually see some new people grow in this area of grace. So I want to walk with you, come alongside you, put your name on there, and on, on there, say, I'll take the four-month challenge. I'm going to do that. I'm going to sign up. Maybe some of you say, I can't do it today because I need to pray about this. And this is a huge step, and it's okay. So next week, we'll have the same card, and you can check next week if you need to do that. Some of you say, I, already, I don't need to worry about that. I already know what I'm doing. I'm going to take the four-month challenge, and I'm just going to see what God does. I want to encourage you and send you some emails and just let you know that we're right here with you and we're walking, and I want to put you on my prayer list where I'm praying for you and praying for your finances that God would work. And as you take and put him to the test, I want to pray for you specifically. So put your name down. Four months. God is saying, I double dog dare you. Are you willing to take God's challenge?